Father, focus our hearts, our eyes, our minds. As we stand before you to listen to your word. To hear the story of salvation told again through the psalmist's perspective. To know you better in Christ. To hear your Holy Spirit work in our relationships and our connections and our network and the way that we are uh, drawn into your Spirit with one another. And as we as we go on a journey through your word, may we see Jesus, the living word. May we know him. May we be known by him. May we be transformed to walk with him. We pray all of this in his name, by your Holy Spirit. We've been looking at Psalm 105, the, the question of thanksgiving, um, uh, really looking at uh, just taking this psalm and, and considering what it means to give thanks, to uh, give praise to our God. And we've, we've, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Um, last week we talked about God's covenants and His judgments in all the earth, um, and the beginning of the story uh, of the of the salvation of man, uh, it, really the the covenants of Abraham and Isaac. But then in verse 12, uh, the psalmist begins to tell uh, a bigger story, the story of the descendants of Abraham. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who Abraham is, um, his name means uh, father of people. And Abraham was chosen by God. Um, uh, he was chosen to leave his father's house to go to the promised land, what is today the, the lands of Israel and um, some parts of Jordan. And, uh, and he was to go there and he, he lived there as a sojourner, as a stranger, as a wanderer. Um, now, I, I, I want to make sure that we understand that when we talk about Abraham living there as a sojourner, we're not talking about Abraham being some peasant, um, poor person dressed in rags. Abraham um, is a chieftain of a semi-nomadic pastoral community. I know you're all excited about those terms. Um, but he is, able to, he is able to raise an army of several hundred, which in uh, the, the mid-Bronze Age, Middle Bronze Age, Late Bronze Age, which is what we're talking about, it makes him a pretty substantial substantial regional power. Uh, and he basically spends his entire life uh, moving up and down the hill country uh, of, uh, of what is today, we would call it Judea, the hills of Judea, around Jerusalem, um, up and down to the Galilee, moving herds of sheep and goats. Um, and then he has a son, uh, Isaac, which means laughter. Uh, Isaac uh, grows up. He becomes the leader of this, of this clan. Um, he has two sons, Jacob and Esau, uh, twins. Uh, Jacob uh, is his name means heel grabber or deceiver. Uh, he has a long road before he can be used by God to do anything, but God, through a series of events, uh, brings him into communion with him, renames him Israel or Israel, um, and call and says that he would be the father of these people. He's given all the covenants. That's described in chapter 12, uh, chapter 100, uh, Psalm 105, verse 12, in very few words. 
when they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, so sojourners in the land that God had promised them, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Now this is an extraordinary summary in hindsight of the events of the book of Genesis, of the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, This idea, touch not my anointed ones, there's all these events that occur in their their lives in which uh, bad things should have happened and don't happen. Uh, Sometimes from the, the sheer stupidity of the people, um, and, and I'm not criticizing them. We people in general, we, we sometimes make stupid decisions. I think we can all identify with that. If you're sitting there going, I've never made a stupid decision, you probably need a little perspective on yourself. Um, we all sometimes make dumb decisions, and, and Abraham, he does, he makes a dumb choice. He, in the middle of a famine, he goes down to Egypt, and he decides, to, he tells his wife, Sarah, um, I'm afraid that if they know that you're my wife, they'll kill me, uh, so tell them that you're my sister, which isn't a total lie. Um, she's actually his half-sister. Let's not get into all that. Um, but uh, it, it, but they are, they're down in Egypt, and, and then God sends a vision to Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes he's done something wrong, that he's almost took this man's wife. God gives him some stuff, or Pharaoh gives Abraham some stuff. He wanders up into the land. Then Isaac, believe it or not, does the exact same thing. Um, goes down to, uh, and he does the same thing. And then, uh, it, and they have all these issues. They're constantly running into problems with, uh, with the nations that they're moving through. Um, And when we talk about nations, we're not talking about modern nations with like armed forces and a department of state and all those things. Uh, You're talking about people, um, and I don't want to get too involved in it, but basically what you have is you have a a, a stronghold, which would be a, a... a town, really, with some kind of fortifications. Those could be made of wood. They could be made of uh, made of dirt. They were very, very rarely made of stone or anything like that. Um, uh, bricks, but nothing, nothing like we would think of like medieval fortifications, like like castles from Cinderella or Disneyland or something. Um, but but rather, they would just be kind of simple spaces um, where where when an attacker came, you could run inside those 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 fortifications and defend yourself. And then there might be like a group of people that kind of lived in the area around that fortification, uh, who when and raiders came, they would all run in there. And so the person that ran that fortification generally had the title of Melech, which means today we translate it as king. It just means strong man. Um, it means the, the defender, the guy that protects everybody else. And there are all these petty kingdoms. There are all these little groups. Um, and, and that's kind of the world in those days. Uh, the population of the entire world in the time of Abraham uh, was, was not as big as the population of the United States today. I mean, we're talking the entire globe. Um, it was a much more spread out world. It was very pastoral. There were a lot of, a lot of herds, a lot of, uh, a lot of flocks, a lot of um, the agriculture had not developed to the point that it's developed now. And, uh, and so you had these small groups. Well, somebody like Abraham, who has this, this rather large moving group, um, that's pretty intimidating. Um, that's pretty frightening. In fact, we have records um, of uh, letters written during the the, the reign uh, of uh, the reign of Akhenaten, who was an Egyptian pharaoh. I know you guys are all super excited 
about all these big names. Um, but there's a, there's a whole cache of letters written from this region during the Bronze Age um, complaining about all these raiding groups that just keep coming through and they, and they keep eating all the grass and they keep, uh, they keep taking all the women. And, you know, these are the legitimate complaints. Um, this happens all the time in your neighborhood, right? Some roving suburban group comes through, takes all the grass. They, you know, their sheep eat all your grass. They take all the women. Um, and so there are these complaints to the Egyptians saying, why don't you come fix this? this deal with these abaru, these, these raiders, is, is the word that's, being, that's used there. So this is kind of the world that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob live in. Um, and... And in this context, they're constantly dependent upon all of these groups that, that could be very hostile. Uh, and you can read through the book of Genesis. You'll, you'll see all these encounters with the prince of Shechem and Abimelech of the Philistines. There's, there's these constant encounters. There's, there's a fight over a bunch of wells. Isaac digs, uh, Isaac digs a bunch of wells. The Philistines want the wells. Isaac gives the wells. There's just all this stuff that's going on. There's all these conflicts going on amongst these people. But through all that, as the psalmist looked back, he says, but, but we can see now that God rebuked those kings and said, touch not my anointed. In other words, God was going to continue to protect his covenant people through all that they go through. And then in verse 16, it says, when, when he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Really buried the lead there. All right. Now, if you know the story, and you, you could go back and look at it, the book of Genesis, chapter 37, uh, Jacob has a number of sons. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, his, his first son from his favorite wife, which is also his 10th son, 11th kid, um, an 11th son, 12th kid. Um, you guys are super excited about all that. But anyway, uh, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. His brothers didn't like him, and they sold him into slavery. Uh, and he was taken down to Egypt and became a slave. And, and as you read through the book of Genesis, his place in Egypt, um, he's sold as a slave into the household of a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. When Joseph says no, Potiphar's wife lies and says that he tried to seduce her. Potiphar throws him in prison. While he's in prison, he meets a baker and a butcher, or a, bu- a baker and a candlestick maker. Right? Um, anyway, he meets, these, he meets a butler and a baker um, and, uh, in prison, and they have dreams, and Joseph interprets their dreams, then they get restored to their position. Joseph gets left in prison. Then one day, Pharaoh has a dream about cows, because of course he does. Um, why wouldn't we have dreams about cows? Um, and he has a dream about cows, and then this, the, the, um, you know, they say, hey, you know, we remember this guy. He could interpret dreams. They go and find Joseph. He comes out. He interprets the dream, and he becomes the second in charge of Egypt. It's a, you know, rags to riches kind of story. Um, it's kind of the original rags to riches story. Um, and the description here summarized this way in verse 16. When God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So um, he, he kind of flips the story upside down. He says when God sent a famine, fortunately God had already, already had Joseph sold into slavery 
in verse 18, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass and the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of the house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Now, this is a, this, by the way, this is a fascinating way to remind the people of Israel as they're singing this song to remind them of a story they were already familiar with. They already knew the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They were already familiar with these stories. These were not new stories to them. So this is just a way of taking something they already know and setting it in the context of thanksgiving. Um, and we talked about, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about in order to have an attitude of thanksgiving, we have to set up monuments, memorials in our lives. We have to see the things that God is doing and we have to remember those things. Both, both the things that we think of as blessings and the things we think of as sufferings, we have to set those up as monuments of God at work. Now, I want, I want, you, to, I want, to, I want you to watch... What's going on here? I'm going to read the next couple of verses um, real quick. Israel came to Egypt. So this is uh, Jacob, Israel, Joseph's father, and his whole family, their whole clan. This is described at the end of the book of Genesis, the beginning of the book of Exodus. Israel came to J- Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Now those, that's, a, that's a, um, two different people going to two different places. This is a parallelism. Israel and Jacob are the same person. Egypt, or Mitzrayim in Hebrew, Egypt is one of the sons of Ham, um, which is uh, how they're described. Uh, Not Ham as in like Easter Ham. This is actually a guy named Ham. Um, But so this is a parallel. And then verse 24, And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts, the the hearts of the people, he turned their hearts of the the people that were around them to hate his people, to deal craftily or deceitfully with his servants. Now next week we're going to talk about the Exodus, but I I want you to watch the the literary pattern of this song. Because one of the most extraordinary things that we often miss because of the way that we read in in the modern world we have so much to read that we stick it on other people's computers and let you read it through browsers and things but in the ancient world writing was expensive uh somebody did the math uh uh, and this this is uh for like the early church first century bc or first century ad somebody did the math do you know that to have a full copy of the bible in the first century ad would be the equivalent would cost the equivalent of almost a hundred thousand dollars because it had to be hand copied the whole thing had to be copied by hand is it any wonder that they were better at memorizing bible verses than we are um is it any wonder, by the way, in the New Testament, sometimes the New Testament authors paraphrase at a level that I would say, it's something like this. Because they don't have a copy. They memorized. They had to, they, it was extremely expensive. I mean, you think about the number of words that are involved. But I want you to, I want you to listen to the, the, the kind of the literary cycle, the way that this is being presented, so you can catch it. We have this, this beginning in verse 12. We start with, they were few in number, kind of a negative thing. They were of little account. They were sojourners. They were wandering. God, 
but then we get this, this catch at the end. But God didn't allow anyone to oppress them. He rebuked the kings. He said, touch not my anointed. So, so we have this, this situation of, of littleness, of smallness, of suffering. But it concludes with kind of this refrain of, but God took care of them. This, this blessing, right? So suffering and then blessing. And then we get this line in verse 16. He summoned a famine on the land. So this is suffering. He broke all the supplies of the land. But he had sent ahead a man uh, to take care of them, right? So, so suffering, but here's this blessing. Here's this thing that God was doing in the background while, while they were suffering, while they were having difficulty, which is, by the way, is the way, reason that it's kind of inverted there. But then look, it describes Joseph. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass and the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. We get this whole thing. He becomes the ruler. So again, we have this suffering. Oh, he was bound. He was tied. He was a prisoner. But he becomes a ruler, right? So there's this rhythm. Suffering, but blessing happening in the background and eventually being manifest. Suffering and blessing. Suffering and blessing. And then verse uh, 23, then, you know, they came into the land and the Lord made his people very fruitful. Blessing made them very, made them stronger than their foes. Blessing. And he turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Suffering. So we get suffering, blessing, suffering, blessing, suffering, blessing, blessing, suffering. There's this inversion of the rhythm of the song. Um, this idea, you know, because so often when we, we get into a, a, a thinking pattern of, you know, oh, I was in this place, but then God did this. Isn't that great? I was in this place, but then God did this. And isn't that great? It was in the, and we always want to think of thankfulness as I was low and God brought me high. But here's a moment where the psalmist reminds us that sometimes God has us high and he brings us low. And this this relationship of blessing and suffering is what I call the paradox of God's sovereignty. Now a paradox is two things that shouldn't be true that are true at the same time. It's not an oxymoron. Oxymorons are things like jumbo shrimp, military intelligence. Those, those are oxymorons. Those, are, those don't make any sense. Some of you are thinking about that. Um, the other, the, uh, a paradox is two things that should not be true at the same time that are true at the same time. Something, two, two realities that exist in tension with one another. And the suffering of God's people and the blessing of God's people are a paradox. Wouldn't a good God always want us to be in a situation of blessing and celebration and joy? Wouldn't a good God always want us to be able to look around and say, you know, we're, we're blessed by God, so we're not touched by the suffering, right? We're, we're, we're you know, don't, there's no harm coming to us. We're blessed by God. So even when there's a famine, God has provided uh, Joseph to take care of us and to provide for us. We're blessed by God. So, so even when we, we're prisoners, you know, God is at work to bring us to a better place. But we very rarely would say we are blessed by God because the good things that happened preceded the darkness. 
we very rarely view the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death as a blessing. And so this paradox that God, being sovereign, is at work in us, through us, by us, for us, and sometimes against us, and yet always working to the good, always working to the salvation of mankind and all of us, it is something that makes it very difficult for us to understand the reasoning and the function of the things we endure in the moment. Sometimes even in hindsight. Generation upon generation upon generation of Hebrews grew up as progressively more oppressed slaves in Egypt. And God did not provide them a respite. God did not break the back of their oppressors. God did not miraculously take the whips out of the hands of their slave masters. And generation after generation of Hebrews, as we read in the first couple chapters of the book of Exodus, endured uh, conditions that we cannot fathom. Serving uh, kings that did not care about them. Men that were willing to kill their, their sons um, when they were born to protect his own, their own legacy. And we look at that and we go, where was God in that situation? Where was God in the midst of this suffering? Now it's easy for us, it's easy for us when we look back and we see suffering and then blessing, it's easier for us to say, ah, but God was at work. God was at work. Even though we were suffering, God was at work and he was bringing us to a time of blessing. But what happens when we look back to the blessing and then we look to the present and see the suffering? Now, it's, it's interesting, right? It's interesting how we as human beings compress our story. Don't we always, I mean, isn't it, isn't this basically the storyline of every Hallmark movie ever made? Things were great, things got bad, handsome guy from the town that I grew up in falls in love with me. I mean, this is the definition of, Hallmark movies are like the, the, you know, I mean, it's literally like wheel of plot. All right, you know, this is, I can't believe there's an entire channel. Every Christmas we go through the program guide and count the new movies about big town, or small town girl moves to big city, gets in trouble, goes back to small town, loses everything, finds love, right? Um, it's just, it's, it's the hallmark formula and it works. So hey, no big deal. I'm not going to complain. It's, it's, you know, it's the ACDC of plot lines, um, if you don't know who ACDC is, ACDC is a rock band that wrote one song and has been recording it with slightly different lyrics for 30 years. No offense to anybody that loves ACDC. All right. But anyway, um, it's this basic idea, right? Everybody's like, he doesn't like ACDC. I am surprised. Um, so anyway, this, this idea of this inversion, we talk about compressing our timeline, right? So... The reason that we know that we're going through suffering is because at some point or another we had a better situation. We were in a position of blessing. All right? I mean, people who have always been poor don't know that they're poor. 
right? I mean, it, it's always when we've had something and we lose it that it makes us realize that, that we've lost something and that we're suffering. You know, th- those who have never endured this, uh, they, they, we talk about, um, historians often talk about the, the medieval horizon, um, which is that in the Middle Ages, in Western Europe, uh, the average person did not travel more than 10 miles away from the place they were born their entire lives. Now, their entire life was only about 40 years so, and that was, you were an old man at 45. It, I was just listening to, this is true in the, fir, the, the, the 20th century, by the way. I'm just listening to The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis talking about how Uncle Andrew is an old man well past his prime at 60. And I'm like, wow, the world has changed. Like that is not, I mean, not that 60 is young, all right, but um, I realized the other day that I'm only two years younger than my grandfather was when I was born. And those kind of don't don't get go down that hole. By the way, that is a dark, dark place to start wandering, realizing how old your grandparents were at certain milestones of your life, and then realizing you are almost that age. And you're like, wow, at least I have my hair. You know, I mean, it's things like that. Um, but we we compress our we compress our our life down into our suffering. And we see ourselves that way. So when we see suffering and then blessing, we forget that there was blessing before the suffering and, and then a blessing. And we tend to forget. Um, we, we, human beings seem to have this, this ability to define ourselves by the darkness rather than by the light. Um, and so, but when we always think about that, we, we forget that there is a frame of reference for God being at work in our lives. That, that it wasn't always suffering, blessing. At one point, it was when we were going through the suffering, it was blessing, suffering. It's only in hindsight that we look back. So since that's true, since we will only see God's provision and God's blessing when we've gone through the suffering, is it fair to say that when we're going through difficulty, our perspective is not God's? And this is kind of where I'm going with this. Our tendency is to think that we are seeing the events that are going on in our lives from the same point of view as the sovereign God. The issue is that there is a paradox. We cannot know what we're going through while we're going through it. We cannot know what God is doing in the thing that we are going through while we're going through it. Now, some people then, their response is to just smile and go along with everything. And it's like, oh, well, it's a dark thing. Oh, I've, you know, um, I cut your hand off. It's just a flesh wound. You know, the, the, um, you know we just keep a positive perspective on everything. That was a Monty Python reference. Some of you are not going to understand. Uh, but the, uh, this, this, whole, this whole thing as we're going through suffering, some people just go, all right, well, uh, I'm just, and this is how they do it. And there's nothing wrong with this. That they just go, well, God's going to work, and that's fine, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep plugging through, and I, and those are plucky, those are, those are people. Um, then there are some of us who, in the midst of suffering, go to our darkest, darkest places, and 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 we're not careful, we get lost in them. But some of us need to do that in order to be able to see that God is sovereign. Some of us have to go all the way into the darkness to be able to see the light. Some people are just willing to see the light the whole way through. 
But regardless how what we're doing as we're going through a time of suffering, we have to always keep in mind that the paradox is we cannot see what God is doing until after he has done it. When the people of Israel were sojourning in Egypt and they were slaves, they could not have possibly seen that God was preparing a time for them to be brought out in a supernatural way, in a paradigm-shifting way, in a way that literally, when we read the book of Exodus, and I think because we have the hindsight as Christians, we read the stories all the time, we don't understand that the appearance of Moses is so earth-shatteringly different from everything that has happened in the world up until that point that it literally changes the scope and scale of the entire experience of the people of Israel. Now, we read it in hindsight, but, I mean, think about how weird it is that there's a dude who comes out of the wilderness of Midian with a staff that turns into a snake, picks up his older brother on his way through, who had a vision saying that his younger brother was coming out of the wilderness of Midian with a staff that turned from a snake, and they show up in Pharaoh and then proceed to just kick the tar out of the Egyptian gods until Pharaoh lets them go free. Oh, and by the way, when they go go free... They cross a sea. This is paradigm-shifting stuff. God doesn't part the Red Sea on a regular basis. This is not a normal thing that happens with Moses. They could have never known the blessing that was coming in the moment. That's the paradox of sovereignty. And it's the reason that when we go through darkness and when we go through difficulty, as hard as it is for us, we must choose to be thankful for the darkness. We must choose to build monuments to the darkness. There's been a lot of talk, and I'm not going to get into the politics of this, but there's been a lot of talk in the last year or so about the monuments built toward the southern generals and all that nonsense um, down in the south. And some of, everybody's got different opinions about it. Uh, let, let me just real quickly explain to you that those monuments were built by the survivors, the children of those who died uh, in the Civil War, and they were intentionally written to kind of rewrite the history of the Civil War, to kind of make it sound like um, the south was kind of this noble, all noble, great, wonderful people which anyone who has a modicum of knowledge of history knows that in any war, on both sides, there are both terrible people and good people. Right, always, on both sides. Even World War II. You say, World War II, I mean, it was us against the Nazis, us against the Japanese, us against the, the other guys that helped them, you know, which were the Italians. I appreciate everybody for getting them. Um, they weren't very bad. They weren't very good at being bad guys. Uh, the Italians were like, we will fight you later. Ciao. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're off on Vespas fighting a war, trying to, but the, you know, we look at that, but we forget that on the German side, on the Japanese side, there were a number of very noble, extraordinary people serving that side. Same thing in the South. Well, the thing is, when we look at those monuments, we can choose to look at those monuments one of two ways. You can look at a monument of a Civil War general and you can go, oh, we wish that we could be like that guy and fly the stars and bars and all that, whatever. Or you could look at it as a memorial of the darkness of our past. 
and make a commitment not to allow that darkness back. See, the problem is when you, when you destroy all the monuments of the darkness in your life, you don't know when you're headed back to the darkness. We have to build memorials to the darkness of our lives. We have to accept that they are a part of our history and our story. We have to embrace them. Now, not, not celebrate the darkness. I'm not saying, yay, things were horrible for me. All right? My life was miserable. I was getting beat up every day. Yay! That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying remember those moments because if you don't remember those moments, if you have a short-term memory about the darkness and the suffering of your life, if you are not thankful and conscious about memorializing those moments, you will slide into the darkness without knowing you are and you'll, you will lose your way again. Uh, when I was a kid, we were, we were taught how to navigate through the woods. Now, how many of you have ever learned how to navigate through the woods without a compass or anything like that? Some of you. John has. All right. One of the most important things you do when you're in the woods. Now, how many of you have actually been in the woods? I don't mean you went to a forest. I mean you were in the woods where everything looks the same. It's like trees there, trees there, trees there. No path, just in the woods. When you are navigating in the woods, one of the most important things you have to do is you have to choose a spot you are headed to and keep your focus on that spot. This is the direction I need to go. That tree up there that is not like the other trees because it's the tree I'm looking at. All right, I'm going to walk toward that tree. Why do you have to do that? Because when you're in the woods, no matter how hard you try, if you don't have somewhere you're going, you will lose your way. You will wander to the left. You will wander to the right. You will look up and go, well, I was looking for the... That's how, that's how a lot of people die in the woods. They, they get lost that way. We build memorials in the blessings and we build memorials in the sufferings because we need to know how, that God is at work in both. In both. You say, well, I don't rem- want to remember the past. I don't want to remember the darkness. I'm not saying to relive it. Just build a memorial there. That's where God, God was at work. I don't know how God is at work, but I'm going to trust that he's at work. Who you will become in Christ, and if there's a big idea, it's this. Who you will become in Christ is hidden behind the circumstances you may not understand and may not want to endure. Who you are in Christ is often hidden behind the circumstances you do not understand and do not want to endure. And if we do not accept that there is both blessing and suffering, we will develop a habit of thankfulness that is completely and entirely dependent on our own emotions and our own feelings in the moment. I had uh, an experience, right? Um, complaining about the fact that my internet speed wasn't fast enough to download the new Mac OS. Right. Oh my goodness, this is going to take 20 minutes 
what am I going to do for 20 minutes? Now, I'm old enough to remember when downloading a picture on the internet took 20 minutes. But we sit there and we go, we go, oh, I, th this is so difficult. You're walking around with your phone and you encounter a 3G area. I can't wait for my email to download like this. How quickly we forget, right? We, we lose our frame of reference. I'm trying to explain to my daughter that there used to be phones along the highway that you put coins in to make phone calls. The idea, you guys realize you can't make collect calls anymore? Like, that would require, A, a landline phone. And B, that the person you're calling has a landline phone. You can't make a collect call to a cell phone. You can't do it. And my daughter is, again, what is a collect call? All right, this, is, this is, you know, my, I remember my grandmother, but my grandmother asking us about what we used for long-distance service on our cell phones. Because my grandmother was one of these people. Something would happen, and she would make a collect call to you, and instead of saying the name, she would describe what it was that happened. Because <laughs> she didn't want to pay the long-distance charge. She'd be like, will you accept a... a, a and they make commercials about this, right? But would you, will you accept the charges for a call from, I fell down and broke my hip? <laughs> my grandmother... She's 97 years old. Um, that, that, that kind of thing, right? We, we forget the context. We forget where we came from. We forget the suffering. And we don't realize that who we are is often hidden in those dark times. It, 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 we don't want to endure them. We don't go looking to endure them. But we still have to memo build memorials because otherwise our thankfulness will be tied entirely to our frame of reference. We will be complaining because God isn't downloading blessings fast enough to us without re realizing the extraordinary blessing we have that we can even have access that way. Uh, I, I'm going to close with this, this one thing. So we were, we were in... Um, we were in Hooksit. We were in a building. cost us $3,000 a month to rent. Had no bathrooms. We shared a bathroom with, a, garage, with a, uh, a car parts place and a pizza place. Our children could not go to the bathroom unsupervised. We had to send adults to get... This is back before uh, we came to this building and, and formed Bedford Road. I was a pastor of a small church in the strip mall in Hooksit. Um, and, and it was in a strip mall. Um, and it was, it was... We were in a, a difficult situation. We were getting to, the, to a point where the bulletin on Sunday morning was, if we don't get $1,500 this month, we can't keep the doors open. Forget about paying Eric. Forget about paying the missionaries. We're just not going to be able to keep the doors open. When we merged to form Bedford Road Baptist Church, um, we literally spent the last $29 in our checkbook to pay for the van to move our sound equipment down here. Um, we were in rough straits. And I got really, really flummoxed by the whole thing. I hate asking for money. I hate telling people that we can't meet our bills. I'm one of those people that I just, I just don't like that idea. Some people can just beg for money all the time. More power to them. I hate doing stuff like that. I went through my entire childhood without ever borrowing money from my parents. That's how much I hate asking for money. I stole some, but I never borrowed any. Um, 
the, the, we, we went through this and we were at this point, I mean, we were just at this absolute dark moment and I just didn't know what was going on. This was right before God cleared the path that eventually produced Bedford Road Baptist Church. And I remember looking at the offering sheet that had been given to me going, there is no way we can pay the bills. There is no way we're going to be able to write the check to pay the, 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 the rent. We, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where we're going to... We, we, we needed $3,000 and we got $2,700. We are not going to make it. Why won't people give more? What is the problem? And I remember as clear as day, a voice in the back of my head saying, how dare you be grieved about not getting 10% when I gave you 90? And God's saying, I provided through these people, most of whom didn't have jobs. 90%. You'll be able to find the difference. You'll be able to work it out. You'll find God, I've provided for you, and yet all you think about is the 10% that you don't have. And I just remember saying, okay, and I, I remember the moment clear as day, putting the paper down and saying, God will provide a way. Now I'm going to work like a dog to find out a way to, for God to provide that. And, and within a few weeks, I, was, I, I got an email with Do- Donald Bush. We started talking. Eventually, Bedford Road was born, and God has blessed us in extraordinary ways. But you know what? In that blessing, in all the way that God provides for us, I never forget I built a memorial. I built a stone. I erected a, a, a pillar that said, remember, it's not about the 10% you don't have. It's about the 90% God provides. And when you go through darkness, when you go through journeys like your wife having cancer, when you go through uh, journeys like, like the questions, I mean, my daughter going through school and crying every day, and we, we didn't know what was going on, and all the struggles that we were facing, when we go through supernatural battles, if you're not prepared to thank God in the suffering for the way that He's provided for you there, you will not have the ability to be the person you need to be when you need to be it. You've got to build those memorials in the dark places. And you've got to find what God has provided. You cannot dwell on what you don't have. You must see what God has. And you need to develop the discipline of being thankful for that. Because thankfulness isn't based on my feelings and emotions. Who I am is not defined by the dark valleys. Who I am is defined by who God reveals me to be as I go through the things I don't want to go through. you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we all have shadows in our world. Dark spots, dark corners, dark memories, low places. It's easy to thank you when we come out into the sunlight. It's easy to thank you when you don't just provide the 10%, you provide above and beyond anything we could ever expect. God, help us to be thankful for it all. Father, help us to be thankful for the shortcomings, for the brokenness, 
for the things in our lives that shattered our expectations and broke our dreams. Even if we're going through it now. Even if we don't know where it's going now. Help us to have the faith to believe that you are faithful. Help us to have the trust in you alone who are trustworthy. That in your sovereignty, although you can't, we cannot see it, you are doing something extraordinary for your praise and glory. And may we live out the gospel regardless of our circumstances. May we build the memorials to your truth, your power, and your, your way. May we lift up the name of Jesus no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter how we feel. We pray all of this, God, our Father, crying out to you with Jesus, the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation, by the Holy Spirit which you sent to guide us, to comfort us, to convince us, convict us, to transform us. We pray all this to